could be. Sister gave me some lead signs here. I, I woke up yesterday with a bad cold and things, <clears throat> so stay away from me. <clears throat> stay away from me. <laughs> I don't want to get anybody sick, so um, we. I believe it is a, just a cold, so. All right, we are going to <clears throat> All right, sounds like other people are sick also, so. With the advent of COVID, um, I know we need to be careful, um, and we should all be careful, um, but I'm, I'm concerned also that there's going to be a lot more. One of the things that's a blessing before COVID was when you had a cold, you just came to church and then that cold was no longer available to you for the rest of the year. <laughs> I only understand that. <laughs> because your immune system built up to that. And uh, COVID changes that, and I don't know what the future looks like with that, but it does. <clears throat> I, uh, we are going to be continuing to go through Romans' overview to um, remember what we discussed, remember what the text says, and the principles that are important. Two weeks ago, we went through Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. We did that with two different messages pushed into one, if you remember, and that was the, the, um, the Christian's Bill of Rights. We have the right to love one another, to serve one another, you know, that type of thing. And then we will not bow uh, the... Um, story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that the Bible does tell us that we are to be subject to human government. And I, I realize that it is a horrible thing today that what the government is doing, the government is secular. It is without God and without hope. Regardless of that, God commands us to obey them. We are to submit to them. Why? Because their authority, we've learned, was given by God. If we resist them, we are resisting God's will. Because that's God's authority. Opposition will bring condemnation. Rulers are here to punish evildoers. Rulers praise good behavior. Rulers are servants of God. Therefore, pay taxes, submit, obey, and honor except when we are to obey God rather than men. And that's what we learned as of two weeks ago in the overview of Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them with me there. <clears throat> Romans chapter 13 verse 8, it says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And Daniel just read the whole passage there. Christians, in essence, are bound to a permanent debt of love. That's the attitude there. We are bound to a permanent attitude of love. What does that mean, a permanent attitude of love? Folks, we don't know it all. We, we are hum humans. There are things that get under our skin. Is that not true? We are commanded to love each other, have a debt of love. How many of you enjoy a mortgage? Don't raise your hand. How many, many of you enjoy, a, and I wouldn't say enjoy, Oh, there's a, 
<clears throat> many of us have a mortgage or a car payment or a loan of some sort that we have. And guess what? Every month, guess what you're going to be doing? It's the same thing. A debt. It's, it's a continuous thing. Many people call that, say that this is, means that we should never take a loan out. Well, that's not what this text is saying. The text is using the debtedness as an allegory or a reminder to us that, man, we have got to be about the business of loving others. Amen? And that's exactly what we are to do. Christians are bound to a permanent debt of love. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. That is what you owe somebody. Why, do we, why is it in the text there that we owe someone that? Why is it that we owe that to them? I mean, what did they do for us? That's the first attitude, right? That's not the attitude that's brought about. What makes us have the idea that we owe love to others? Because Christ first loved us. We are to be little Christians, amen? And that we're to follow Christ, we're to be followers of Christ, and Christ sacrificed His life for us, His enemies. We have to have this idea that, man, Jesus did this for us, I must do this for others. Yeah, but you don't understand people. It doesn't matter. Well, you don't know what they did. It doesn't matter. And that gets really hard. Really hard. Not too long ago, I was sitting in a meeting with somebody and then these people just went off on all these things that they hate me for. And I'm like, I don't even know what planet you've been on. How many of you ever felt like that? (laughs) What are you talking about? On and on and on. And To be honest, I was mad. That none of that's true. Do you know what? I need to love them. Do you know how hard that is? I need to love them. By the way, again, I said, like I said, this this debt of debt of love—that's the idea. The debt of love we're talking about is not talking about loans. Loans are biblically acceptable. Uh, by the way. Um, and I, I don't want to get into this, but th- that's, that's a separate issue, a separate thing that we didn't really deal with, it, but I want you to be aware of that. Why? For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Are we law keepers? Is that a trick question? <laughs> Is that an unfair question? <laughs> so, a law keeper in our mind immediately goes to legalism, right? That's not what I'm talking about. Everything written in the law is to show that we need somebody because we will absolutely destroy every one of those things. And it's to show us our need of a Savior who loved us. There's this idea out there that God fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law, therefore He accomplished grace for us. I don't know that I, I, I struggle with that. But I will tell you this, Christ loved so much that He did fulfill all the law. Because that's what the text says. That's an absolute. He loved us so much he died for us, and therefore, He fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in the saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What is He saying here? And we're just going down the text as we're going to go through the whole prayerfully up to chapter 15. <clears throat> but i got to get going, right? <laughs> The reality is, he's saying this. He said, listen, you will not commit adultery if you really love your neighbor. If you truly love your neighbor, you know that your neighbor's wife is his wife. His wife. 
right? It's not yours. And your love for them demands that you do not have his wife. You shall not murder. Oh, who in the world? Uh, you know, I love you, therefore I will kill you. Love is the antithesis. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. Why? It's not your own. It's not yours. They earned that. They, it's theirs. Thou shalt not steal. You shall not covet. I just watched a uh, post-millennial this last week talking about he believes that all these sins of transgenderism and, 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 and gay and lesbian thinking and, and, and all this stuff is all on envy. It's all built on envy in that <clears throat> I like that, I want to be that, therefore I am that. And there's some truth to that. By the way, do you know where envy comes from? What, what, where in Scripture is envy elevated? This is one of the seven deadliest sins. Envy is not love. It's not at least love for others. Right? It's love for self. All of the law can be summed up. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I always cringed and, and it just... Ugh. I've seen, literally, I've seen Christian been to their homes. They got dogs or cats, usually dogs. And literally, I, I watch them. They, 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 they shovel the, the dog poop and throw it over the fence. Can I be like you? Is that the attitude the neighbor's going to say? But yet, that, this happens. It's a common thing. Now, that's just something small and dumb, but yet, it's important. Do you know what? You will never be able to witness to them. Never. They will never see. Well, God can do miracles. But I tell you what. We are to be in the world and love them. That is not love. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The debt we owe is love. Amen? It's love. And that's the text. That's what it's all about. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. The no <clears throat> By the way, look at the last part of it. I just want to go over it quickly. Do this. knowing th Do what? Right, do this. Paul said, love your neighbor. Why? Why? Because it's already the hour for you to be awakened from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Act like Christ. There's been no better time in the world than today, than tomorrow, to act like Christ for the world. Amen. Love like Christ did. The next <clears throat> chapter is chapter 14. I'm going to quickly get there. Romans chapter 14, <clears throat> verse 1 says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. This is dealing with how do we, how do we, this whole chapter, how do we get along with one another? Do we get along with one another? I will tell you this. How many of you have sinned in your life? Can you raise your hand with me? We all have. There's not a one hand that's in here. Loving somebody 
is not sitting them down and going through rapidly all the wicked, nasty things they are and as if you're so much better. That's not love, that's hate. That's not only hate, that's arrogance. That's not just arrogance. That's pride that is probably rooted in unbelief. Literally. Now, are we to admonish one another? Absolutely. How? In love. In love. Romans chapter 14 is all about this. Christians' relations in conflicts. One person said it this way. You probably remember this. Working with people is messy. He's a famous author behind the scenes. Regardless, working with people is messy. It is. It's extremely messy. By the way, God gives us that. How many of you have been, were born or have been born or know of somebody that has been born? That newborn has messy times. And you know it very well. And it permeates everything. Does it not? Those things need to be changed. Working with people is the same way. Just because we're adults doesn't mean we're still not messy. The reality is we tend to be able to hide our mess a little easier. And a little more cunning. God wants us to deal with our mess. Amen? How do we do that? Do you want people to help you with your mess? Ask them for help. The problem is, if Christians aren't loving, then that help is going to be damnation and condemnation. Right? Many weak Christians believe they are the strong Christians. This is where the strong and the weak came in. Do you remember that? I'm strong. I don't have any problems. I've I've seen people from the pulpit say, I don't sin. What? And the reality is, just, just let's just be frank and honest. The reality is, and, and this is the problem with the pastoral vocation, is people look at a pastor as some kind of perfect guru. You got the guru right. But he ain't perfect. And as soon as we see a fault in it, there's a crack. Oh, now we hate him. How many get this? I'm telling you, that is the same with every Christian side by side. All of us have faults. We're all in this mess together. We need each other. But if we think we're the ones that know everything, there will be no help. Many weak Christians believe they are strong. In reality, they're the weak ones. We had a man here about, I don't know, five or six months ago. That man, and he is a man. That man, when I was growing up, was instrumental in my life. I looked up to him. All the while, he was going out getting drunk and cheating on his wife. I don't, I don't remember if he was a deacon or not, but he was well respected. Six months ago, that's when I was a kid. Six months ago, that man walked into our building, went to the men's prayer breakfast, and sat there and told us men. This is what I was. This is what I did. I was an idiot. But by the grace of God, He's given me victory. That is a man. Now, we don't need to stand up in front of people and confess our faults. And we certainly don't need to go to a black booth and confess faults. But, 
we should have a confidant. We should have somebody we can go to and say, can you help me? I don't know how to deal with this anymore. Can you help? That is a strong believer, not a weak one. Amen? So many weak Christians believe that they're strong. In reality, they're weak. All, I I should have that in there, all strong Christians believe they have weaknesses. All strong Christians do. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. For God has accepted him. These are two believers. One thinks it's wrong for him to eat meat. Then don't eat it. But don't you dare sit there and make fun of him for not eating meat. That's the essence of this text. Who are you to judge the servant of another? Who's the other? Christ. He's the servant of Christ. It's going to be used, by the way, if you're not here Sunday morning, which you should be, for CE Hour, we're going through the theology of vocation. What am I doing in 95% of my life, out, which is outside the church, how am I to act? Is that just the secular world and I act like a secular? Or is it, although secular, I am the sacred person in the secular world? Super important. How am I to live in my job? How am I to live in my play, my leisure? How am I to do these things? Regardless, the reason we said that is this. Because we are all servants of God. All of us. Every single person here that is a believer is a full-time minister of God. Amen? Because you're serving God. Yes, you're serving the boss. But guess what? The Bible says, serve Him as if you are serving Me because you are serving Me. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must fully be convinced in his own mind. By the way, I don't know if you noticed, but the apostolic confession was modified. It's modified, I think, to be more biblical. There is no holy Catholic church. There is the church of God. But why talk about it? Because it's not met yet as a whole. It does exist, but tomorrow, Lord willing, it will be greater. Are you following that? Secondly, Jesus Christ did not go to hell and spend three days with Satan. He did go to the place of the dead. But that is not what we understand as hell. Thirdly, Jesus Christ is coming back to judge but then to reign. Because when He judges, He will throw all the bad fish out and keep the good fish to rule and reign on this earth. Amen? That's how it was modified. And I think it's important because this text makes it important. We should be knowing the doctrinal truths of Christ. Amen? They're important. They, they, they help us understand that we're weak and we need to continue to know these things. For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. Paul said it over and over again. He says, Paul, an apostle, what? Called by God to do this. Every one of you, every one of us have been called to serve God in where He has called us to do. As a father, as a son, as a daughter, as a mother, as a grandparent, as an electrician. 
as a ditch digger, as an engineer, as a whatever, fill in the blank. Those are all God's calling for His great glory. Strong Christians know that they have weaknesses. But God is called. It is God alone who judges. Amen? It's God alone who judges. The strong judge by contemptuous superiority. In other words, they got their things behind their lapel and they think they're, they're the bomb. I thank God that I know of nobody here like that. Praise God for that. That's just wicked. Who are you? God judges all. The weak judge by self-righteous. In other words, I did these rules. Did you? What are you saying? The weak, the strong judge by superiority. They think they're in charge. Like the Nicolaitans. The weak judge by self-righteousness. They're legalistic. And because I followed more laws than you did, I'm a greater and more important Christian. Is that true? Uh, no. Verse 13. Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. What does this have the idea of? Chapter 14, verse 13 is telling us, listen, we're here to help each other grow. Amen? Amen? We're held here to encourage each other, lift each other up. Not to be an obstacle. Not to be a stumbling block. Now, let's just be honest. This word not judge, everybody uses that. You can't judge people. That's not true. God has called us in a sense to judge, but not in this sense. This is to condemn. That's not your job. That's God's job. We are to, hey, I see this in your life. You're, you, 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 you're, uh, um, you, sm- you smell like pot. We have a problem. <laughs> Can I help you? Does that make sense? Why? Why? Is that going to help them? Is, is pot going to help them grow in the Lord? Is it going to regress his growth in the Lord? Absolutely. So it's not because, ha, I caught you in a sin. That's ridiculous. It's, hey, if you really want help, we got to deal with this. The end result of this is horrible. For your, for, because I love you and I care for you, let me help you out of this. And by the way, that's the same thing with any kind of sin you can put out there. It's the same thing. There is no sin that is not forgivable. Amen? Not one. Not at all. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. The idea here is the strong may be correct theologically. They got it up here but their practice may be nefariously selfish like the Nicolaitans. You're just paupers. Let me tell you how to live. You know, I have grown as a pastor because people have in love come to me to help me in my weaknesses. You will grow as a Christian for the same exact reason. This is not an individualistic life. Amen. We're together on this. The weak. The weak may be incorrect theologically. Pleasing God with what they know. They might not know. Let me ask you this. A a newborn Christian. What are they like? They are on fire, they are bouncing off the walls, they are excited, and they don't have a clue. 
right? Does anybody remember something called the Great Awakening? Do you know what the Great Awakening was? It was a bunch of people who got right with God and exploded. And there was a lot of ignorance going on. But they loved the Lord and they were excited about it. Amen? I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Verse 14. (coughs) So, in essence, obviously they had the wrong idea of the Old Testament covenant, did they not? As if it applied to them in the church, correct? Don't eat pork. All of us would be in trouble. One word tells everything. Bacon. Here's what's even more ungodly. Bacon cheeseburger. Do you know how unbelievably anti-Judaistic that is? Milk, meat, pork, all of it's involved. And you eat it on Saturday? I mean, all of that's there. Listen, can we be so theologically minded that we're no earthly good, yes or no? Absolutely. Now, can we know enough theology, yes or no? No. So do not get that mixed up. Where do you think Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and the like came from? It came from people getting saved during the Great Awakening or around that time and then just thinking things through themselves without any theological help. There is pitfalls. Amen? But some of these things don't matter. Okay, so he doesn't get a bacon cheeseburger. So what? He's going to eat salad. Good for him. He's going to fit in his clothes a lot longer than you, by the way. <laughs> right? Regardless, it's, it's irrelevant. doesn't matter. Now, does the doctrine of soteriology and Christ dying for our sins and the grace, does that matter? Oh yeah, there's no wiggle room there. Not that there's wiggle room here, but what does it matter? They're growing. We have a brand new child in our church. Right? I love, I, I, I call them my Iowan family. Does anybody know why I call them my Iowan family? Cedar Lake. <laughs> Cedar is not running around like Lake. Right? Cedar's infant. She needs milk. She actually thinks probably that squash is good. (laughs) It does take a while for her to grow. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is this. Cedar, nor Lake, nor any child in here was thrown a T-bone the first day of their birth. Frankly, after 10 years, some of them don't even get that. Eventually it'll come if they grow. But it's growth. We just don't cast them aside as if if they're not needed. Man, they are precious in the sight of God. And they need to be precious in our sight also. And by the way, it's neat. He he says, listen, it's... it's, Okay, they're wrong theologically. That's not what I'm saying. But they are. But it's okay. If they think it's going to be offensive to God, that's okay. Let them live that way because why? They don't want to be offensive to God. And it's the motivation behind what they're doing that matters. Romans chapter 14, verse 20. We're skipping verses. I get it because we are, we, I, I want to get through all this. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things are indeed clean. He said, okay, I get it. All things are, are clean. They, they are. We know that. That has been stated. Correct. But 
but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. If he knows, if he thinks he's doing wrong, don't do it. But on the same token, don't tell everybody else not to do it. Did you get that? This is quite complicated in a sense. Here's where we really need to understand what's going on in this chapter 14. The strong can hurt the weak. In this church, we have everybody in here has weaknesses. And there are strong and weak. You can literally destroy somebody's faith by being prideful in your strength, quote unquote. And if you are prideful in your strength, you are actually weak. Does that make sense? If a believer. You can be an obstacle, verse 13. You can get in the way of their growth. You can be a stumbling block. I'm going to, I hope he doesn't, I should have asked you this before. I'm going to use Mr. Zarin as as an example. (laughs) 20 years ago, Mr. and Mrs. Zarin showed up at the Catholic Church building. I bet you that was hard for them. Why? A Catholic Church building. If I would have been a, a drinker, that would have been hard on him. That would have been stumbling block and obstacle. How many understand that? Because he was saved out of the Catholic Church and stayed saved out of drunkenness. <coughs> and I'm saying that not because to throw him under the bus, to see how God dealt in his life. And he'll give you that testimony. I know he would. The reality is we can become obstacles and stumbling blocks by using our strength, our liberty to do whatever we want. In other words, we can go out there and sin so that grace may abound. What does Paul say about that? Absolutely not. No way. Emphatically, no. That is not what you... If if that's your attitude, you better check your faith because it's not real. Because your love... Listen. You were saved out of something. Because someone loved you enough to share the gospel with you. Just imagine if you had that love that loved others enough, you shared the gospel with them. They too can enjoy that freedom from the penalty, power, and permanence of sin. Strong can be a stumbling block. Strong can be an obstacle. Strong, the strong can also hurt others. <clears throat> they can destroy others. <clears throat> That's what the text says. I'm not manipulating words or just picking the important ones. That's what it says in the text. You, in your Christian liberty, can literally destroy another's faith. That should be convicting in our lives. Here's the one that's probably even worse. You can literally tear down God's work. As a Christian, do you want to be known as somebody that has torn down somebody's what God has already done in their life? Let me ask you, if you simply loved one another, would you even be here? Absolutely not. In this, none of those would be true if we truly loved each other. And obviously give offense. <clears throat> Verse 20, and then last, or there's two more. The last one says, make others stumble. And the last one is, condemn. Let me ask you, do you know who's saved and not saved? Maybe it's a better question here. Can you dogmatically know who is saved and not saved? No. 
because you can never know a heart. It is wrong for somebody to tell somebody, well, you're saved. You don't know that. So shut up. Don't you dare do that. They are dealing with God. Now, are there, are there places in the text that give us evidences of salvation? Yes. Bring them to them? Great. But let the text and God deal with them. Your beautiful words of worldly thought aren't going to help. The text is. Amen. You, there could be people in this room that your embracing of your Christian liberty to their detriment could cause them never to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Do you love yourself or do you love others? That's the question. That's what this whole text is about. How can the strong hurt spiritually the weak? The strong can affect their eternal salvation. You do not know if they're saved or not. They might not ever come back. You might never have an opportunity with them because of what you did by flaunting your liberty in front of their face. The strong's abuse of liberty can reveal that they were unsaved. Who unsaved? The strong and the one they offended. The weak's participation of strong liberty against conscience reveals that they were unsaved. In other words, I'm just following somebody. Whatever they do, that's okay. Must, must be okay. But I, I, I don't. I struggle with this. Are you living by faith by, or by living by man's manipulation? See the difference? Happens all the time. The abuse of strong are destructed by what God is constructing. We cannot abuse our Christian liberty. It is not loving to abuse our Christian liberty. Amen. That's what the text is talking about. And by the way, this, this idea of following men, I never understood. I always had people tell me, well, all commentators aren't believers. All people that deal with theology aren't necessarily saved. And I just didn't, you know, okay, sure, whatever. They're talking about God, then why are they talking about God, right? One of the things that this project has done for me is realize that Christians are really lazy. And believers in general are lazy. I have found literally uh, professors, evangelical seminary professors, and evangelical, most, some of the most popular pastors that preach all over the world. Huge churches. Simply regurgitate what's already been said. Does that make sense? I hope Christians aren't that way. I hope you are like the Bereans and study the text for yourself. Now, there's no sense to reinvent a wheel, correct? It's already been done. You can use those things. But what I learned during writing this opened my eyes and it scares me to death. Church family, please, I beg of you, don't tell people well, Pastor Graf says, I could care less. Do not do that. It's the Scriptures say, Amen. Because that is no good for the world. Scripture is the absolute, not a man. Can the strong, the strong can affect the weak's eternal salvation? Well, how is that? John 10, 28 and 29. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. 
Can the strong affect the eternal salvation? Not if they're truly born again. Can they affect their growth in salvation? Yes. The problem is, we don't know if they are or aren't. The only glimpse we have or possibility is their fruit. But we don't... Can fruit be fake? Absolutely. John 5.13 You may know that you have eternal life. Do you know that you can know for sure that you have eternal life? Amen? What a blessing. Live day by day in faith instead of day by day in fear. Can the strong affect the weak's eternal life? John 3.16 Whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 8 He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. And these whom He predestined, He called. And those whom He called, He justified. Those who <coughs> justified, He also glorified. Nothing. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. So who is the one saving us? Who is it? It's God. It's His work. And God knows the heart. We can't. So we need to help. We need to serve each other by lovingly serving each other because you have no idea what's behind their skin. How many got that? No idea what they're going through. No idea what's going on in their heart. The Strong's abuse of liturgy can reveal that they were unsaved. By this, children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. What is that saying? Love is a, a uh, action, that a glimpse that we're truly born again. So then what is hate? Strong's abuse of liberty can reveal that they were unsaved. New commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. <laughs> it is a telltale of a believer is that they love each other. Do we truly love each other? Man looks on the outward appearance, and here's where the rubber meets the road. But the Lord looks on the heart. We might have an idea, but we don't know for sure. We don't know. Only God does. But we need to love them. And to be honest with you, I think that's why God did that. Let's be honest. If God said, okay, those that are truly saved have a cross burned in their forehead that cannot be taken away. Let's just say that. Would we treat each other differently? Sure, we know they're saved. And the ones that aren't saved, you know they need to be saved. Therefore, how are you going to treat them? We're to treat everybody in love. Amen? But it, it, to be honest with you, isn't well, I, I won't go into that. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor. In other words, this whole thing is you cannot judge by condemning. That is not, you can't. You can't judge motivations and you can't judge by condemning. Neither of those can be done by any Christian. Why? Because they're for God and God alone. There's only one God and we are not Him. The week's participation of Strong's liberty against their conscience reveals that they were unsaved. Holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. The faith which you have has have have as 
your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. You ever know you didn't, shouldn't do that, but you do it anyways? And how does that feel? I mean, it, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. I don't know if this is pleasing to God, but John's doing it. Yippee skippy, here we go. It's not about John doing it, it's about what God wants. And whatever is not of faith is a sin. The strong's abuse of liberty can reveal that they were unsaved. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2. <clears throat> Every way a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. There are people who think they're good to go. And they will stand before God. And they will, God will look at them and say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they will look back at Him and say, but Lord, I prophesied in Your name. Depart from me. I never knew you. Then the, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know. We don't know the heart, but God knows the heart. According to all the ways, for you, you only, know the hearts of all the children of mankind. It's kind of obvious. It's up to God and God alone. How can we be an obstacle to influence others to act against their conscience? We should never do that. That's how we're an obstacle. How many understand that? How am I going to be an obstacle in their life? I'm going to try to get them to overcome, uh, to, to go against what they believe. <laughs> Let them live by faith. Praise God and hopefully pray, pray the Lord will help them grow. But it ain't going to kill them to not eat meat. Stumbling block, acting contrary to what one perceives to be right is to weaken one's own moral structure and undermine integrity. So, why are you doing that? And I, I've seen this. That probably one of the biggest ways this can be seen is with alcohol. <clears throat> Postmillennialism and amillennialism is on the rise. It's a popular thing. So everybody, I mean, I mean, guys like James White has gone headlong into postmillennialism. Guys of tall stature that we would look up to, it's just they've gone headlong into it. And, and, and what it is, to be honest with you, is allegorizing Scripture. That's what they're doing. But regardless, they can know the Lord. And I believe many of them are truly born again. Because they put their faith and trust in Christ. But the problem is this. With these, what these men have done is, is there's now a culture coming up through the seminaries and the colleges that are embracing extreme reformed to the nth degree theology. Does that make sense? It's not just the uh, uh, solas, which is great and important, but it's more than that. It's infant baptism. And here's another one. It's the enjoyment of alcohol so much that I had a kid from you know, the very populous state of Montana. Get that? In a town of probably 12. He says, here's the problem. All my friends have problems now. They're all drunks. They're drunks. Why? Someone took their Christian liberty to an nth degree, they've adopted it, and now they're, they're stumbling. Listen, they can never, and, and these were guys that were in going to school to be a pastor or something, and now they're drunks. You've heard of priests getting drunk. Why is that? Listen, folks. There are reasons I don't do things at all. Whether right or wrong, maybe by God's grace I can and I could enjoy it great, but I, no way. I will not. Why? Because I have a love for other people that's greater than that. 
But, but that's, I'm telling you, in today's day and age, that's what's going on. Hurt others, sadness when the strong engage in behavior that is deemed inappropriate. Destroy others, their hypocrisy injures their conscience and plunges them toward ruin. All of us are hypocrites. True or false? We're all hypocrites. Own it. Own it. Don't run from it because you're getting to be even more of one. Own it. Face it. Tear down God's work. How, what does that mean? Strong influence weak to behave what is not of faith to them. They don't know it. Don't push them. Don't push them. God will bring them. Have them read the text. Let me ask you, can you grow without the Scripture? Nope. I haven't seen the statistics, but I've been wrapped in statistics lately. If I remember right, I think 45% of Christians admit that they read the Bible every morning. Now, are all of them telling the truth? It's less, it, to be honest, less than 40% of Christians read their Bible. How can you grow? Help people read Scripture. Strong browbeat weak and partake out of fear. That's pretty obvious, right? I don't need to explain what that means. Make others stumble. If that's not true, what is? Doubtful. Um, how are they being abusive? They're being Because uh, they're making others stumble. They're condemning. Doubtful actions are condemned because doubt is incompatible with faith. When you don't have peace about something, don't do it. Does that make sense? Now, if it's something God commanded, that's something totally different. If you don't have peace about what God commanded, well then, there's a bigger problem. But if something's, ah, I just, mm, I am not sure, and you're in the Word, and you're in prayer, don't. Don't make other people either conform to your ideas. That's what the Nicolaitans did, by the way. <clears throat> All right, we've got to get going because there's enough of this, right? Verse 19. So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. I want you to say amen, amen, amen to that. That's what we do. We build up one another. We pursue things that make for peace. We build up one another. Romans chapter 14, verse 19. 17 through 18 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For we who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by whom? Men. Then he goes into verse 19, which we just dealt with. Spiritual aspects of the kingdom are what? Righteousness. Not selfishness. When people come and gather with us to church, they should realize that it's righteousness that is being exuded and certainly not selfishness. Amen? Peace, not arrogance. Do all of us have all of Scripture right? Do we act like we do? Joy versus devastation. What does that mean? The joy of your Lord is the joy of the Lord is your what? Right. You want to serve the Lord in all of your life? You, you got to have joy. Where's that going to come from? Only from the Lord. There's no other place. I tell you what, you watch Fox News, you will not have joy. 
You watch any kind of news, you will not have joy. You will not have joy. You know what? We, we got to be really careful about news stuff. We really do. We do need to be prepared to protect our family. Amen? But I would get, dare say, in today's society, there are many Christians who read the news more than they read the text. And therefore, they're political activists and not Christians. Does that make sense? The abuse of strong destruct what God is constructing. Our earthly purpose is not eating and drinking, but serving. Question is, am I guilty of tearing down what God is building up at the altar of my liberty? That is the essence of what we just went through. God has called His church to unity instead. He's called us to unity. We need each other. Listen folks, I need you. Not just in ways that you're, oh yeah, I know. No, 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 no. not in those ways. I need you to be by my side. And I need to be by your side. We need each other. Unity of the church is contingent on humility. It's contingent on being gentle with one another. Not that all your life is gentle. The perfect pastor is not the one from Princess Bride. Sometimes, when you're proclaiming the truth, it needs to be proclaiming the truth dogmatically and strongly in love. But we need to be gentle, we need to be patient. Why? Cedar and Lake are still little babies, in a sense. We need to be patient for them to grow. That's talking physically, but spiritually, same thing. Patience. All right. So in Romans 12, we have found practice of pleasing God. That's what He expects us to do. Please Him in everything. In Romans 13, We need to please God by obeying government. First part of it. In chapter 14, we are pleasing God by both strong and weak in the church, love, serve, care for, humble, gentle. Romans 14. Romans 15, how is that accomplished? How do we accomplish that unity? I mean, we're all on different wavelengths, are we not? Well, we have the same Lord and the same baptism and the same, you know the passage. But how is it where these different people come together? How can we help each other? That's the whole point, how we can help each other. I just heard this week that Mr. Pierce, I'm going to pick on him for just a second. Mr. Pierce wrote a paper on the theology of work. He doesn't know it's called that, but I'm guessing from what I hear it is, that's what it is. Did you know that Mr. Pierce had more understanding about how to live sacredly in a secular world than 95% of the professors I talked to about it. You see, how many, does that make sense? We rub shoulders with each other and our understanding of Scripture in different areas is different and therefore we can be more complete, more full, more usable by God. Amen. I'm going to preach this cold out of me. I'm telling you. That's how it feels right now. I feel not bad. My head hurts, but you're probably saying, mine does too. Stop it. (laughs) All right, we're going to finish it up here because I, my head is killing me. Romans 15, 1-6. We'll finish this up, Lord willing, next week. 
and then finish chapter 16 next week. Because chapter 16 is this whole list of people at the end. How do you preach that? Um, so we'll be going through that. <clears throat> Verse 1 says, here's the key. It's all about others. It's not about me. Amen? Yes, the country song was wrong. About me, 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 me. No, no, no. It's about others. Number two, it's not about me. Verses one and two. It's not about me. Number three, it's about Christ and Christ alone. Number four, it's about Scripture and Scripture alone. Number five, it's about God's power alone. You cannot do this on your own. It's not possible. And someone that is humble understands that. That's why they're humble. Number six, it's for God's glory alone. That's what it's for. That's the purpose. What is it? Unity. Unity, unity, unity. We do not get along by throwing away theology. We get along by encouraging each other in theology. Does that make sense? We're growing each other. I'm excited about finishing this up next week. I pray you are too. Mr. Gaiman, can you close us in prayer? Please stand. I will pray and we'll be dismissed this morning. Father, thank you for the power of your word and just a reminder here of the sound doctrine from the book of Romans, how it gives us such practical insights into how we need to live to please you remind us of the truths we need each day to bring you the glory in jesus name amen